Hello and welcome to the 831 Podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a little, I don't know what it's been, maybe a month or so since we last got together. <laughs> for, for looking at a different phrase, but yeah, since we last got together, it's been maybe, uh, I don't know when the last one exactly was, but yeah, we're back anyway. Um, usual things, uh, big shout out to sponsors, of course, Trojan Nutrition, um, Trojan Nutrition, Trojan Fitness, long-term sponsors of myself and of the podcast, so a big shout out to those guys, Sweatbox Gym Bristol, A3 Academy Bristol, Pedro Bassa BJJ, all of these are applicable, they're my long-term sponsors, support, fight team, crew, etc. So, uh, yeah, big shout out to those guys. And the many other people who support the podcast as well. Always looking for new guests. So hit me up with anyone you know who you think would be interesting. Psychologists, psychiatrists, hot air balloonists. If you think they'd make a good conversation, hit me up, let me know. And I'd love to talk to them. So that'd be fantastic. Other than that, yeah. Going to keep firing these out. I've got a couple more lined up. But today I am joined by the awesome Greg Krill. Greg is a BJJ black belt. He was Pedro's first BJJ black belt, I believe. Um, so he's a teammate, but also he's a coach, a jiu-jitsu coach, MMA coach. He's the coach of Mason Jones, who I've obviously had on here and you guys have listened to, obviously. So, yeah, Greg is, he's awesome. He's funny. He's His fight knowledge is superb. As an analyst, he's brilliant. He's a referee at many jiu-jitsu tournaments. So I knew he'd be a good guest. So I really enjoyed this one. You should enjoy it too. We talk a lot about MMA and jiu-jitsu, as you would probably imagine. But it's well worth the listen. We have a good crack and we break stuff down and we take the piss. And all the things that you generally hear from the 831 podcast is what you get from this. So, yeah. Without further ado, I'll let you listen now to the 831 Podcast, episode 43, Greg Creel. Greg, thank you very much for joining me. Yes, no worries, buddy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Getting by, uh, missing teaching and stuff, but... It is what it is. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm good, buddy. We um, I'm still teaching a little bit with some of the guys, so it's not that bad, you know. But I'd rather get everyone training, you know. But there's uh, circumstances won't allow us, you know. But it is what it is, like you what said. Are you um, are you on like elite status and stuff at the moment? Are you? Yeah. So we had a little bit of hassle trying to get it all passed by the local council but they granted us elite training for some of the guys and support staff to be able to train. So guys like Mason. And the guys then who are pro, looking to go pro, we've got them in training. So we've only got a handful of guys in, but it's better than nothing, you know. It keeps me busy. That's the main thing. Yeah, exactly, mate. What are you? Uh, what What's your general schedule as in training? Was are you full time at the gym or? Um, I still work a full time job, but then I I do the gym every day as well. Yeah. So I'm kind of like it's like it's like a fifty fifty split. You know, I'm in the gym just as much as I'm in my job, to be honest. So. Yeah. Is one of those things. I enjoy being busy, though. That's, that's my thing. I hate hanging around and doing nothing. So I, I think having a job is good. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes in the future. It's looking good. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of them. I, I just wish there was some... 
I just wish there was some logic now, you know. I just wish there was some sort of logic in somebody could just shake someone and be like, look, how, how are you not recognising how important this shit is? Like, we've got I know. people sat at home getting fat and going mentally insane. How are you not really? I mean, I'm even running. Like, next I'll have a gear. Uh, What's going on? That's next level. That's next level running. <laughs> yeah. I haven't quite got it yet. <laughs> Mate, honestly. And then again, just... I, have, I, have, I have been running with my son because my son plays football and um, we do a couple of runs, but it's only like three Ks because he's only, he's turning 11 now in two weeks. Yeah, oh. yeah. He does like three Ks. He does. He doesn't need to do more than that. So that's enough for me as well. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, mate. Three K is enough for me. Ah, uh, it's <laughs> enough. <laughs> Unless I'm being chased, three K is generally where it gets cut off for me. Exactly. But I have to do. Even getting chased, I think I'll give up. Yeah, mate. I like. I I just have to do something. Like I shadow box in my front room or something, and I'm moving around just to do something. But yeah. you don't. I, I think. Because obviously a lot of my training in the more recent years, in the last sort of year or so, with NAD not really being that active because of the the lockdown and stuff, and then none of our guys are on that level, so they haven't been fighting. Most yeah. of my training's literally been teaching. So you, when the teaching's not there, you really notice like shit. I'm not, I'm not really getting any rolling in. I'm not getting anything done. You know? Yeah, it's sad because like you know, it's it's. It's the participation part I find hard because obviously like guys are gonna lose a little bit of a little bit of wanting to come back. I've had messages of like the majority of guys who are dying to get back, you know, but it's it's kind of getting new guys into training as well. You miss that kind of like January, February is like everyone's most important time of the year where you can kind of get new starters through the gym. Yeah. But we've missed that, you know, and then last year we kind of got going with new starters and then in March everything locked down. So those guys never really got going. So really, we we a year now where, you know, you're not getting new students through the door, you know. We had a little period, I think it was October, November time where we get guys back in, but it's still not enough, you know. So but it's, it's, it's a kind of participation, participation part for me, to be honest with you, yeah. getting new guys into jiu-jitsu and MMA. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the first, those first six months to a year are crucial, aren't they? You know, like when, if you can get, if you can get a brand new student, if you can get them to just attend a grading, even if they don't grade, if you can just get them to attend a grading, let's say, or get them to attend a big squad session and they can see what it's about. And, you know, because coming to sessions is good and you learn, and, but then when you get a big group organized yeah. thing like that and you see what it's about, people generally overlook just how much of a community it is within mm. jiu-jitsu or MMA. So when you get them for six months or a year and it becomes habitual to keep coming back then they you know they can turn up to training and people are like oh, hello pete and six weeks ago yeah. they even know your name that people underestimate just how big a difference that makes yeah definitely with well, the pedro Besso boys now as well we're kind of close in proximity as well between south wales and like and southeast you know what i mean so it's it's kind of easy to get around within an hour you can probably get to like almost all of the pedro Besso academies in south yeah. wales and bristol area so um, we get together quite regular as well, like we said. So it is kind of, um, you know, that, that we miss that part of it, of being able to go around and train with other guys. And, you know, it, it is, like we said, it is what it is. We just got to try and get through it, you know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, as as a team and as, uh, as competitors, we're going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. It's just gym owners. That's that's the thing. And it's like people, yeah. it's the 
if you own a gym and if you've got somewhere, I know places that are going tits up at the moment and it's just about holding on and if, if you can get through it and then hopefully it'll all be over and in a year's time we're going to be looking back saying, what the fuck was that? <laughs> is it the other part of it as well is that you've got young guys now maybe like we've got a couple of guys who were like in between college and uni and once they get their degrees or qualifications and they're thinking about, you know, they've got something to fall back on and pursuing full-time training now. Yeah. This is going to scare them, you know. How are they going to be able to to kind of survive off privates and stuff when immediately that's taken away? So that safety net of getting like a full time athlete in where they can just course through their training and just concentrate on that, and then obviously you know earn money from privates and stuff. That safety net's just been completely taken away from them, you know. So that's that's a problem as well, to be honest with you. Having guys kind of have faith in going full time going forward in the future, you know. Yeah, I mean. It- we're in a situation as well now where over the last couple of years, like even jujitsu is becoming a viable career. And, you know, you've got the guys who are MMA. People have been pro MMA for a while and they've dedicated themselves. And for, for a lot of my career, when I owned my gym and stuff, I, my money came from personal training or I did some door work. But even mm-hmm. jujitsu guys now are getting to a point where you can earn a career, you can make a career out of jujitsu. So you can go full time with your uh, jujitsu and just live off of that. So it, we need that influx. We need people coming through and thinking, yeah, this, this is still viable to stop the progression that just jujitsu is making. Yeah, I think when this is all over, I think we'll take like a couple of steps back before we get obviously take a couple of steps forward. So, like I said, I think it's just for the younger generation as well, the new starters looking at it and saying, right, I want to make a career out of this. Whereas, you know, 18 months ago, everyone would have been encouraged by the way that jujitsu, MMA and everything was going. It was a complete like progression. You could see where everything was going now is like, ah, shit, everything's been taken away from us. Like at a drop of the hat, you know, do I really want to be the guy that doesn't make it just because of the circumstances, not because it wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's the issue you got. Yeah. So how did, uh, how did you come to it, mate? You, I mean, you were, you're one of Ped's earliest black belts, right? In the first. Yeah. 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 So the first, yeah. So how did you, how did you a come to uh, BJJ and how did you, like, what were you doing before that? What led to it really for you? Yeah. I was playing rugby. My brother was a, a really good rugby player and I kind of followed in his footsteps. My brother my brother played for Wales under 18s, under 21s and made wow. his path that way and I kind of followed in the same footsteps so I played rugby all my life and then I kind of got to where I was like 18, 19 where like I didn't enjoy not, not I just didn't enjoy the team aspect of rugby if you know what I mean. It's weird. It's yeah. like some days you turn up and you're really up for the game and then if two or three boys doesn't turn up, and I was one of those boys a couple of games, you know what I mean? If they didn't turn up, you had no chance of winning, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of one of those frustrations where no matter how hard you work, if the unit didn't work, then you're kind of done. So I didn't enjoy that. So I wanted to try something more like individual. So I was thinking about like boxing or something down that line, you know? And then um, one of my good friends, Adrian Watkins, is was a blue belt in jiu-jitsu and I just hooked up with him and just just went from there they was literally within 24 hours i was like almost training full time it was just <laughs> one of those things because i was already playing rugby i was already genuinely fit and i enjoyed kind of physical contact from the rugby i kind of just went right okay i'll just flip everything on his head and i'll just instead of doing rugby five six days a week because i was i was playing like pretty decent level then i'll just go and do jujitsu five six days a week 
and that's basically how it went and just went from there, just snowballed then when you start to enjoy something, it just snowballs, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that's, uh, I mean, rugby, I think, is a good foundation just because like, if you come from football or tennis or you can be an athlete, but having that body on body impact in, because, you know, in rugby, even when you're, you're not generally supposed to get hurt, but if you accidentally tackle someone and take a heel to the to the lip or you get raked or something happens in the scrum and you get those accidental hurts that happens in jiu-jitsu all the time and that's a big all thing that puts time, people yeah. off yeah, is that, that conditioning that conditioning factor in it really that you know there's a conditioning factor of it like it's jiu-jitsu i always say not not everyone means to elbow you in the face do you know what i mean and, and yeah. rugby is like you said exact same thing and like going back to kind of getting new guys in, I encourage like rugby players to come and before, well, after they come back from the original lockdown and we was allowed to train again, I was having an influx of rugby players simply because they couldn't play rugby. Mm-hmm. And man, some of the guys was like, I'm really excited when they get back because they, they're already athletically gifted. They love contact. They're hardworking. They hate losing. And it's just the perfect mix for someone who wants to do MMA or Jiu-Jitsu. You know, it's the perfect yeah, exactly. mix. So I'm really excited for those guys that to, to, to maybe come back, hopefully after this lockdown ends, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've worked with um, I've worked with some rugby guys before, particularly in the wrestling area. They, they assume that being able to wrestle is going to help them with their uh, tackling, and stuff, which it will yeah. certainly not hinder. But um, when you get them and you get them on the mat, I mean... A, a, at first they're useless because they think it's just power and they rely on yeah. their power but then when you show them just like you show them a couple of little things and they utilize their athleticism with it as well you're like jesus this is yeah you you can yeah. be trouble here i've worked with a couple of rugby rugby guys uh like rugby teams around you in south wales and um a couple of them have come like with a off season or pre-season and whatever they've come to jiu-jitsu and just kind of supplemented their training a little bit you know but they, like you said, they aren't athletic. They're quite, quite gifted, a lot of them, you know. And then you've got the ones who just like to drink beer, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they generally don't don't make the uh, the transition over so much. Nah, I, not uh, so well. <laughs> you, what, what really uh, shocks me with jiu-jitsu is, I mean, obviously I've been doing jiu-jitsu for uh, 18, 19 years or something stupid like that. Um, uh, what really shocks me is... Back in the day, we didn't. This wasn't really a thing, and it is now. Is there's proper jujitsu geeks? It attracts people who are really cerebral and think yeah. thinking people. You get the people who are, you know, like people who are maulers who are strong or like. But generally, it, it attracts a a person who's a thinker. That that element of it being a bit chess like. Yeah. Is a, is, is a true story you know it is very much like that it's it is a thinking game in the cerebral aspect and i really like that you're in a room who with people who generally would be non-confrontational non-violent non-aggressive but as soon as you put them in a jiu-jitsu environment they're now taking all these um cognitive abilities and all the functional aspects putting that together then with the fact of and you actually bring out you nurture that aggressive side of them yeah, because of the fact that they are like a bit of a geek, for want of a better yeah. word. A good mix of brawn and brains is uh, the ideal mix in there, you know. A good mix, of, a bit yeah. of brawn and a bit of brains. That's probably the best thing that you can describe it. But like, yeah, I've got a my jiu-jitsu team are quite laid back, you know. They they they're thinkers. They 
they're not so aggressive. I've got one or two who are obviously like rugby boys, quite aggressive guys, and we encourage that to a certain degree as well because that's their MO, you know what I mean? But the majority, I'd say 80% of the guys that train out of my academy are kind of real quiet, think, you know, really good at what they do. They try to really break it down. They enjoy watching jiu-jitsu. They enjoy talking about it. They enjoy drilling. So that's the kind of guys that that is is good to encourage, you know, because they a lot of guys who come into jiu-jitsu probably wouldn't excel at a lot of other things, you know, mm-hmm. athletically. Athletically, because you can get such a mix of guys in jiu-jitsu, but not just that. You, I think it's the, the games in jiu-jitsu you can play, you know, you can play a wrestling game or a guard game and, you know, it kind of suits everyone. Everyone starts to get their own little game and then they t- they kind of go down that line of like some guys just play half guard, some play open guard, some play close guard, some play top game, passing game. And I think that's what attracts people to jiu-jitsu because of the different elements of it, you know, and then trying to beat the certain guy that you're training against with that one element that you're really good at. So I think that's what interests people about jiu-jitsu so much and people who, like I said, are not so athletic. Yeah. Yeah. The, the puzzle it is that the, the puzzle element, I think uh, you, it wouldn't be a shock to see a lot of these guys doing a Rubik's cube whilst they're doing <laughs> jiu-jitsu because it is the, the puzzle element. I mean, what, mm. what I look when I first started, it was to, because of MMA, obviously, and jiu-jitsu wasn't yeah. massive here. And I spent a few months in Brazil and um, it was, for, for me, it was just about getting on top and being on top and keeping control. And, uh, and then, I remember I trained with uh, Marcelo Garcia came by a, um, a club that I was training at for like two, he did two days there and uh, he, he showed some butterfly guard stuff and I'd never seen butterfly guard at this point. And I just loved the fact that it was so compared to everything else. It was so easy and mellow and wait for your guy to do this and flow mm. with this. And then I started thinking like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play off my back. I'm going to go the one place I don't want to be I'm just going to play off my back because I don't want to be there so much. And I started doing that and playing off my back and watching things to do with back because yeah. I thought... We, like, had, um, we, had, we had an interesting conversation today in training just after training. I have guys who are like, like they enjoy wrestling, you know, and that's their, that's their thing. But I said, what happens then like when, when you get put on your back? Because it'll become a time where, like, especially in the amateur ranks or low pro ranks where you'll meet, like, we're not talking like UFC level, you know, but yeah. in the and and kind of early on in your pro you will get put on your back so let's kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable so we had a conversation about that today and like being put on your back and kind of getting good at the positions that you don't enjoy because then when you get there you kind of get comfortable with it over time you know but I think a lot of people stay away from positions they don't enjoy but it's good it's good to kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable in positions that you don't enjoy I think that's 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 a good thing about jiu-jitsu yeah, that, that's it. Just don't, like you get the people who, and you see it with everyone when they first start, they want to, because I, like, I don't necessarily teach submissions very early on when I teach my, your first couple of classes, you're probably just going to learn a mount escape, a half guard sweep, because a submission is generally the end of the role, let's say, because mm-hmm. if it's a comp, so I don't teach them very early on. I teach, if someone's got you in a shit position, I don't want you to tap because that's the end of the role. I want you to know how to get out of it. So I teach escapes and stuff. So that if you yeah. do get put on your back, you're out of those positions, but the role's still going. Otherwise you yeah. spend five minutes tapping six or seven times. <laughs> now you can spend five minutes. You might not know how to sub anyone, but you know how to go from one to the next, to the move, to be on my back, to yeah. get back to sweeping, which I think is or like really 
uh, really important is the fact of being able to keep the flow going, especially in an MMA situation where... Yeah, and it, like if you... like, I talked to one of the guys who are training with us at the moment, Ollie Cole, who's a, who's a um, Commonwealth wrestler. He's doing some teaching at a gym with us. And like all of last week, he spent on his back. You know, just yeah. working. He come to me and said, oh, "I spent a lot of time on my back this week in in the grappling classes, just to get used to being on his back." You know, because you never know, you may lose a scramble, you're there, and you've got to be on your back. You know, so yeah. stuff like that's like super important, especially for like MMA. It's super important for MMA. Yeah, you can. I, I we had a fighter. I got. I had a phone call for to match one of my guys. Said, oh, we want to match so and so to go pro. I won't say his name. Want to match so and so to go pro? I was like, no, he's not going pro. And they're like, no, come on, he's won his last three or four amateur fights and stuff. He's won like he's like five in one amateur, or whatever. It's a really easy pro fight. I'm like, nah. They're like, no, I think he's ready. I'm like, listen, I've never seen him on his back getting punched in the face and have to get up because he's mm-hmm. fighting an amateur. So until I see him in an amateur fight on his back in trouble, and I know he can stay composed, listen to what the corner has to say, and come to his mm-hmm. feet. He's not ready to go pro. Like I want it's to see him. Crazy how, uh, kind, it's crazy how a promoter is saying that um, I want your guy to go pro yeah. and undermining everything that the coach says. <laughs> I think he's ready. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think he's ready. Like, brilliant. Perfect. <laughs> uh, it is crazy, mate. That, that element of MMA and UK MMA is still very much there. That's why I kind of like not like obviously i'm in obviously i got guys who are fine but i kind of keep away from it at the same time because um you can get dragged in a little yeah especially you so i just kind of just breeze through it as much as i can yeah just concentrate the- on the boys concentrate on getting them and that's it yeah being a coach is much better than being a manager definitely all day, all you only day. Got, this is the thing <laughs> when when you got when you're a coach You've only got the one asshole to deal with. When you're a manager, you've got all of them. So everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so you started. Uh, that was you starting them, mate. What was your journey? How long did it take you to go from starting to getting your black belt? I started. I think it was 2004, and I got my black belt in 20, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So I got my black belt in 2012. One a pair. First one with Kevin Cox and Mark Tucker. So, yeah, um, literally just training and competing as much as I could, really. As much as competitions now is crazy. You know what I mean? The amount you can compete every weekend if you want. Whereas maybe back in the day, we had like four or five that we could kind of concentrate on throughout the year. So, like, you know, and if he was injured at one, like for one half of the year, then you only had one or two comps to, to kind of aim for. You know, so early on it was difficult to get competition, but yeah, compete as much as we could. Um, yeah, just concentrating a lot more now on the coaching aspect of it, if I'm honest with you. Um, just spending a lot more time. Maybe, like I said, try and make a career for themselves because where we live is not great, you know, it's not it, you either like. At the moment, it's, it's not a lot going on, especially with lockdown. But even when the lockdown's not, you're not a lot. You play football, rugby, you go out on the weekends, that's your lot. Like. So it's yeah. trying to offer something different and another path for guys, like I said, who are not really into that side of of, of sports, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think um, 
when we, I think you probably the guys who are, I mean, obviously Bristol's a massive, a massive place. So I think it's easy to underestimate how different and difficult it is for other people all over the country. Because I'm massively jealous of that. Yeah, I'm massively jealous because you, you get an influx of like different people. Yeah, constantly all the time. I'm not saying that the, we we are undermining by any standards because we've got a lot of guys who are doing really well. You've got a lot of like a lot of foot traffic coming through as we have just what we got. So this sometimes when someone makes it is much the Welsh guy made the impact that the local community. And everyone from the local community is because of that young guys, you know, we've just working with. Yeah. You're yeah, there. I thought you... you you broke up there, mate. You got me? No, it's okay. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, you're uh, the video's froze, but you broke up a little bit audio wise as well, so it may be my internet. One sec. Yeah. Yeah. I got you, mate. I can still hear you. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can still hear you. I just can't see you, mate. So okay. But as long as as long as the audio is there, mate, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I got you, mate. That Are you going to be my first one where the, where it cuts out on us? Not. That's that's the Welsh internet, see. <laughs> I tell you what, mate, it's like the fighters though, because it's resilient. I haven't give up yet. <laughs> it's not giving up. It's not giving up. <laughs> uh, the problem is the problem is with me. The internet's not great, and then I've got my kids stuck in the house on their Xbox and iPads and stuff like that. So. You know, hopefully it's all right now. Yeah, you were you were signed up until then, mate. It was it was perfect until then, and you you seem to be good again now. So we're all set. But um, so yeah, I mean that's quite that's good even by today's standards. Eight years getting to go from starting training to get your black belt. I mean it shouldn't be underestimated your commitment. That definitely shouldn't be underestimated your commitment. And then uh, the fact that you were probably going to tournaments as well and competitions. And I bet the pool of competition was small. I bet there weren't many people in your category. Like you go now, you could easily have twenty people in your in your category now, every weekend. Yeah, qualified uh, maximum especially heavy or super heavy in yeah. uh, a blue belt so uh, you get like three or four guys in your category but now like i said if i go to the euros a black belt master master one um heavy or super heavy you, you get like 10 10 12 guys you know yeah and that was never that's why like the euros are so good because then you'll get a good number of fights whereas the uk maybe not so many guys that like heavy or, or or super heavy you know to fight with so international competition is probably more, more important when you get to like brown and black belt yeah yeah um you you also uh you're doing a lot of work with polaris as well i mean have they still got stuff coming up with even through the lockdown or has that stopped because they did a bit during <clears throat> the last lockdown didn't they yeah so i think i'm um, in the in 
since this has been going on, obviously the COVID, I've done two shows with Polaris, refereeing two shows, Mm -hmm. and they've done it down in Bournemouth. So, yeah, I think they got another one coming up. I'm not kind of sure when, but I've been kind of asked, am I free? But um, a date's not definite, I don't think. But, yeah, um, they, they're definitely carrying on doing them. I think what they got in places, like, obviously, the same as what they do with Cage Warriors. They got, like, the isolation and COVID testing and stuff like that. How that works now with all this new international travel restrictions, I don't know. But um, with, obviously, elite athletes, like with us flying back from um, Fight Island, we was kind of exempt. As long as we was tested, I think it was, like, 48 hours before leaving. Yeah, and we had negative result. We was fine. So yeah, I, I'm sure they'll be able to mitigate it somehow. You know, as long as they got like the isolation thing in place and testing, I think elite athletes are kind of fine to carry on. You know. Yeah, I mean, so, I think uh, that this sort of situation is good for something like Polaris. I think because a lot of other events aren't there. Mm-hmm. It just in the U that that's an event that in the UK really needs the backing, needs to support mm-hmm. everyone who's involved in combat sports because it's such a huge event for people. Like, for someone like myself, I'd love to compete on it because it's... I'm at the end of my MMA career, but it's, like, the the format is superb. It's the closest to, to fighting in jiu-jitsu I can get in no-gi. Otherwise, mm. you're going to competitions, which, yeah. you know, it's a lot of rolling. To go and have a super fight or to have just a 10-minute, like, a submission-only event like that where you're not just stuck in a sports hall with nobody paying any attention, <laughs> for something like that, for someone like like me, it makes me want to train properly for it. it yeah, definitely. It's a, great ex- it's, uh, it's a great experience as well because, like, obviously, the, a lot of the UK guys are getting a good showing on, um, on Polaris as well. And I think... A lot of the guys have been invited over then to like a big shows overseas, like in America and stuff like that, going over and, and fighting on the other shows. So it's kind of highlighted a lot of the UK guys. And not only now, now the European guys as well, you know, some of the European guys are savages. And you look at MMA as well, some of the European guys in MMA now is is crazy, you know. So we're not a million miles away, but shows like Polaris, obviously, um, Cage Warriors and, and things like that, that are in the UK. Is, is putting a good show on for like a lot of the local guys to kind of showcase themselves, especially being on fight pass as well, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal for for both yeah. of them. But, uh, the uh, but with with Polaris on on the fight pass thing, it was it, it's just it's for me it's just brought because I don't watch a lot of jujitsu. It's not it's not really my thing, and if I do watch jujitsu, it's generally no gi stuff. Mm. So um, to have the format where it is more like a fight card. Is, yeah, and I mean this isn't a new. It's not a new thing. It's been around for a while. But for someone from the UK to have started something like Polaris and vet invested so heavily with time, commitment, mm. and to be delivering that, and then obviously like they got the world's best referees as well. Obviously, so standard. <laughs> but yeah, I I love it. I I really love. It. I enjoy watching it. I like it. I can easily sit down and watch a whole Polaris card. The same as I would watch MMA. And they're, they're evolving as well because then obviously with the lockdown going on, they could match guys up, but then they come up with a team's format as well, you know? So they've done the team's format, which was, I, I really enjoyed refereeing. It was it was, it was was kind of quick, you know? Yeah. It was really, really good. It was, it was kind of, you didn't know who was coming out next fight. You didn't know who was fighting who and you know what I mean? And I know 
I know that a lot of people were slating like the UK versus the European guys, but the UK put up out of a scrap considering that we was in kind of a pandemic as well when anyone couldn't when the guys couldn't train full time, you know. They didn't have access to training and they put up out of a scrap as well. So, you know, they done themselves proud and I really enjoyed that that aspect of it, the teams. I think that's it to stay as well. I think Well the they, format's they brilliant stay. because it, it makes people attack. And the worst yeah. thing for jujitsu is obviously stalling. Well, yeah. if you're in a competition where stalling earns you nothing, then yeah. it forces you to attack. And you don't want to lay like... your team down either, do you? You know, you want to get the points yeah. for your team. You want to get ahead and it's, it's tactics that come into, evolve, in, into play as well where like they kind of play in one guy against another guy who suits other, who suits them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's good. It gives it that little bit of a different feel, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So would you say, do, do you follow jiu-jitsu in the same way that you follow, say, MMA? Um. Yeah. Yeah, kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, loosely, if I'm honest with you, because like you said, once you've been doing something for so long, you kind of pick what you enjoy watching. Yeah, yeah. Because you know? I couldn't sit there like early on, I'd sit there and watch the worlds from ten in the morning all the way through till the evening without the shadow, <laughs> not a problem. But now I think I'd struggle. <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> you know, but yeah. yeah, I kind of pick what I tend to do is pick fights I enjoy. I'm really I'm watching a lot of wrestling at the moment and really in because it's something that I haven't watched before or something I'm going not I'm going involved with. So I'm watching a lot of division one and two wrestling, just anyone. All fights anyone doesn't bother me. I'll just watch whatever comes to mind and I'll just have a look and then see who's who and whatever and kind of get a grasp of that and see because it's a different aspect, you know what I mean, of something and it's something different to watch as well. So yeah. I'm enjoying watching that. Yeah, I mean that that I've I'm a big advocate of wrestling. It's my favorite aspect of the sport. I've been wrestling for as long as I've been doing jujitsu. So I, like I love wrestling. I loved wrestling. I was in 2006. I was in the US training with with good wrestlers. And in Bristol, we've always had a good wrestling base with like Saeed and John. Yeah, and you have. Guys. You've always had a good kind of. That, that's the good thing about training down in Bristol is. It's not always jujitsu, you know. I don't. Yeah, yeah. When you go to Bristol, you don't just train jujitsu. So it's not like training here but in bristol is is a different vibe a different a different type of rolling you know yeah. which i enjoy which is good you've always had good wrestlers in bristol that's this is why i enjoy going to be honest with you yeah it's, it's good I, I i really like i like i've liked freestyle wrestling for a long time but that's still you know i've been critical about how we don't have it like an early age and then i was brought into to teach and wrestling to ped's kids team and stuff and because i really think it's a, a i think that's a sport that can do really well over here in schools yeah. for the simple fact there's no like it does in America because there's no submissions in school. Schools mm. will be put off with jujitsu over here, and they have been when they've been approached. But wrestling, I think, can be really big, especially if more people can get into watching it. But mm. like you said, MMA probably in jujitsu is what brought you to wrestling. So mm. I see that that's the next progression is wrestling yeah and that's that's what we kind of done at the academy now is we we was looking for a while for like a more of a full-time wrestling coach in the academy because that was the only thing missing you know where like i was doing the wrestling but i wasn't i wasn't a wrestler which like Mm -hmm. i've always had the same attitude as like don't come to me for your boxing because i'm not a boxer or a boxing coach you know we need someone in there who's going to be good at their job if someone asked me about striking advice i give my i give my opinion and then I point them over to Stephen and say, Giff was our Thai boxing coach. And I say, look, you need to go and ask Stephen because 
you know, he's well more versed than me. He knows exactly what's going on. Go and ask his opinion. So yeah. that was the one thing that was missing was the wrestling with us. And um, we've got Ollie, Ollie Cole who's coming now, who's um, a Commonwealth Games wrestler. And yeah. he's doing some wicked, really, really good stuff for the guys. And they're progressing real, real quick. So it's vital for some of the Thai boxers who's fought pro Thai boxing who want to get into MMA as well, which we've got now. So it's vital that they soak up our knowledge as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, because yeah. it it's uh yeah. to to have that for you to be investing so logically with with people instead of saying like listen we can pieces I can piece this together for you <laughs> I'm not that guy piece it together but yeah. yeah I'm not that guy I think I think that just comes out to like selfishness a lot of the time you know I know everything and you know that that's just the way it is listen to me I think that's kind of narrow minded as well in terms of a coach. Yes. A coach's job is to coach the best you can coach. And if you can't do something to the best of your abilities or you're not that versed in that area, then you need to point them in the right direction. You know, take Mason, for example. He's got a kicking coach, a yeah. taekwondo coach who does his kicking, Carl Betty. Then he's got Ollie. Uh, Ollie's doing a little bit of his wrestling, but majority of his wrestling is with Craig Ewers, who's worked with elite athletes all his life. You know what I mean? Since he was a kid, he was an elite athlete. Then he's gone through the Welsh judo system, fought Commonwealth Games and medal. He's he's an elite athlete himself. Then we've got Lyndon James, who was just dedicated boxing coach. Then you've got dedicated strength and conditioning coach. And then myself, who does like his MMA and jiu-jitsu as well. And like that's what you need when you want to be like a pro fighter. You need to kind of build a portfolio of coaches who are going to help you in each area. And I find sometimes, especially these days, it kind of a lot of coaches are drag, jack of all trades. You know what I mean? You've got to bring guys in to help, and or you've got to point them in a direction, and you've got to be comfortable in doing that as well. You know, you well, you've got to be, you've got to be willing to say, I'm not the best guy for this. Like it's not, hundred yeah, like, percent. Yeah, like that's one of those things. You, if you come to me for something, if you're coming to one of my classes and you want to learn wrestling, I'm going to say, listen, I'm the best guy in here to teach you wrestling, one hundred percent. If you want to learn judo throws, I'm the best guy in the room to teach mm-hmm. you judo throws. If you want to learn knees from the clinch, go and see so and so who's had forty odd tie fights. Go and exactly. see. You know, you've got to be willing to turn around and say that. You know that mm-hmm. because. It's only ego that's stopping you, right? There's no, what, yeah. what else? Yeah, yeah. You don't want you don't want to give like a lot of people don't want to hand over their kind of mantle to someone else. You know what I mean? But I just find I just find that you can concentrate on your own thing and you can be the best at your own little particular part. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's how we kind of do it. Yeah, like a, a lot of my guys train Thai boxing. Yeah, they train MMA and Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, but I've got a couple of guys then who go and do individually just go and do their boxing just straight boxing with Lyndon and they go and do privates with Lyndon or they go and attend some of his classes and, and they get good at that. Even though they're good at Thai boxing, they still want to get good at boxing. Now we could just say like, Oh no, what are you doing that for? You know, you could just stay here. We're good at this, but no one's going to be better than someone who's done boxing all their life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the key. And it's the same for the wrestling, same for the jujitsu, same for everything. Like even down to like the weight cuts, like Reese Jones does Mason's weight cuts as well. Like, I could, like, read how to do his weight cuts or do it online or, you know what I mean, and just say, oh, this is the way that so-and-so, so-and-so does it. We'll do it this way. 
but Reese has put like years of like years and years and years of research into like making sure that it's like proper analytical, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to be as good as him when I'm doing everything else, <laughs> you know. That's also, it's, it's just it's silly because to... you don't want to be either. You don't want to be as good as no. him. That's the thing. Like yeah. Reese wants to be that good at that thing. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to be that good. You no. don't care. You don't want to read five <laughs> six hours a day on it. it. Exactly, and and when you've got someone who's dedicated to just that one area, you know what I mean. It just it just makes much more sense. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. You got it's definitely a logical approach, and that's I mean, it's reflected in uh, Mason's obviously your go-to guy. We could bring out like Jamie Hughes if we wanted to talk about guys who have yeah. done really well and performed because. He's performed at the highest level, and he's you know, Jamie's done... performed at like a real high level in jiu-jitsu. You know what I mean? And some again, someone who's come from the valleys, you know, and trained yeah, yeah. like with me all his life. Yeah, from the age of I think Jamie come in when he was like seventeen. I think I want to say seventeen, something like that. Yeah. Sixteen, seventeen, and yeah, he's been with me all his life, and that's someone who's come from the valleys and just worked hard, trained hard. And fought on the highest level in jiu-jitsu. And also, like, you know, we're on the right track. And even then, he breaks down. He does his own little strength and conditioning away on his own. That's, like, a massive part of his game. And then he comes and does his jiu-jitsu. So it's the same thing. You know, we could say, oh, just, you know, do your strength and conditioning or do this, do that. You need to be doing this. But you've got to leave your athletes or your guys to do their own little thing as well. You know, they've got to kind of find a little break from... I think that's where the weights and the S and C comes into it, where it's still applicable to the job they want to do, but it's a break from what they're doing at the same time, yeah. which I think is good, which I think is good, is a good thing. Yeah, but also because every every single person who comes in that gym is different. And I mean, obviously, I'm not I'm not telling you this. You know this. I'm just highlighting <laughs> that, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, uh, everybody's different. So if I've got, 30 guys on the mat i can guarantee i'm going to explore six different teaching processes now Mm. i've been to classes and i'm sure you've attended classes and seminars (laughs) and stuff and you think fuck me you can't teach everyone that way that works for this thing or and then i'll see the way that someone teaches and i think oh man you've missed a trick there because so and so hasn't quite got that you need to explain that a bit differently but to be able to i mean the way that you you understand something that's not your gig, let's use, for example, boxing. The way that you understand and process boxing, the jab or the one-two combination, is not going to be the same way that Mason understands it, that no. I understand it, that Nad understands it. Now, for you to try and then reinterpret that without looking at the way the footwork is, the body position, the hip movement, it's you're doing a, a disservice to the person, but more so you're doing your disservice to yourself as a coach because you appear to be a coach who's not good enough when in actuality you're the one you're thing that's your thing. You're just blagging it, yeah. You're just yeah. blagging it was to a degree, you know. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's the most logical way to, like you said, to approach any coaching, especially from an MMA standpoint. You know, especially from an MMA standpoint where you've got someone, like you said, we have guys who will be, you know a lot more grappling based where I'll push them more towards the wrestling and then say, look, make sure you're boxing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then I've got like strikers who are like, like, like I said, prototype, the tie box where I'll push them heavy towards the wrestling to say, you need to fix this and your jujitsu, but you're already good at your, your stand up. So just keep that sharp. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, 
you know, you've got to find your own way. But like I said, it's it's an old thing with me. Like a, a lot of the guys say in the academy that I teach everyone different because I'll go to one group of guys. I'm like, what are you doing? You've done this a million times before. Just get on with it. And then I'll turn my back and I'll go, you okay? Do you need a hand? <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> but like I've got to, like you said, you coach everyone different. You know what I mean? Like you've got your full-time guys who you've got to be on and just stay on them and make sure that they kind of stay on themselves and keep mentally switched on throughout the session because the longer they're mentally switched on the better yeah. and then you've got to have some sessions where they need to have some fun as well where they can just switch off and just have a bit of fun and then you've got your like your part-time guys who just want to enjoy jiu-jitsu for what it is now it's pointless me teaching them the same as a full-time athlete because it just doesn't work like it's not going to work they're not going to enjoy their training at all <laughs> and you're not going to enjoy your teaching either you're going to all not at all, no. And I like to have a bit of fun as well when I'm teaching. You know, I like to, I like to treat them more social. But then, like I said, with with the guys who are full time, then is is business as your job. You know what I mean? You, like, I have a chat to my guys and say, "What do you want to do?" When they say they want to go full time, or they say they want to take it more serious, I say, "Well, map it out, write it down, and if you don't stick to it, I'll just hold you accountable." You know what I mean? If you come to me one day and say, "I'm tired, I can't do it," so what do you write down on your sheet, mate? You got to hold yourself accountable, like. This is how it is. This is what you want to do. So you got to stick to it. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. There's the amount of um, because you will have heard as much as I have bullshit. The amount of bullshit from people. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm of the opinion of, don't even tell me anymore. Just just yeah. do it. I'm going to notice that, that mm-hmm. that's what you're doing, and I'm going to think. I make them write it down. I make them write it down. Yeah. I think it's the best thing. It's the best approach. Just write it down. Say, right, okay, I want. I've had guys come in a couple of months back in the original lockdown. I had a guy ring me and he was on my case for, for ages. I'm going to come. I'm going you know, I want to be the best MMA guy that ever was. You know, I'm Anson <laughs> Silver. Right? And I'm like, okay, cool. Come train him. You know, just yeah. come train him. And when he come train, I had a chat to him. So write down what you want to do. You tell me what you want to do. And if you stick to it, you'll be able to do it. You know, yeah. one session in, I haven't seen him again. So. Yeah. That says it all, do you know what I mean? And if he does come back and he's like, oh, man, this is hard, you know, say, right, knock one or two off your list and start with, like, three or four small little goals and then build up from it, you know what I mean? Because some guys write pro MMA in three months' time, UFC champion in six months' time, do you know what I mean? That's how, yeah. that's how they write their things. You've got to kind of you got to kind of strip it back with some guys. But, yeah, some come in and they got all the aspirations in the world and one session in, I never see them again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, I uh, pe- people used to say to, like about Nad when Nad first got signed to UFC. Oh, Nad's good this, Nad's good that. Oh, Nad's striking this. I'm like, listen, th- there's not going to be a better example of anyone on this planet than Nad of work your fucking ass off. Oh That's- yeah, he's savage. Nad, like, it's one of, obviously, Nad came to me when I had Olympians, and he hadn't even had a pro fight, and he just became part of our boys, and we all started training together, and, you know, like, Ronnie was all coming down, so we were all working together, so I've seen him from the beginning of his career, and it's one of those things, like, I can look at my fight career, and I can now look at people like Nad, or Mace, and I can say, I don't work like that, I don't, I don't work like, like, I always wanted to go fly birds of prey. I want to jump out of planes. I want to jump off buildings. I want to do... Nad wanted to be in the fucking gym from the moment open to the moment it closed. Nad yeah. wanted to spar everyone who ever came through the door and Nad wanted to win every round. Like, and I can go and spar with Nad and Nad knows how well I'll do against Nad and, and we know that, but I'm not going to do that every single day and want to like Nad does. Yeah, exactly. He wanted to yeah. sleep That's the thing. Like, 
it, it, well, take Mason and, and guys like that for example as well. He, he had a week off from his last fight, one week, and then he's back in training like he's never left. But probably you know, wanted just, to after three days. Yeah, he literally had to force himself to a week off. You know what I mean? And that's just that's just the type of people they are. You know, they just gra- I call them grafters. Yeah. They get in the gym and they kind of they they set the tone for the guys as well. You know what I mean? Because when guys are tired or when guys are down and or they want to sit around out, just just look over and say he's not sitting out. That's why he's where he is. You know, he's not sitting out. He's not taking a backward step. You've that's that's your mantle. That's that's what you need to aim for. You know, so having guys like that around, guys like Nad, you know. And guys like Mace is is critical, you know. The longer they stay around and kind of keep this level, the better. Yeah. So, get, touching on to Mace, um, how long have you <clears> had him, mate? How long has Mace been with you? He was he was in Wild Judo. So when we was I was training like solely jujitsu, and I had my I still I had my club in Abseil as well. We used to do a monthly training session down in uh, in the West, down in the Welsh Institute of Sport, mm-hmm. um, with Craig Ewers and all the Welsh. Uh, judo squad so we used to go down and have just a big training day like once a month and um, that's when I met him first initially and he was like 14 because he lives in Blenavon which is literally a couple of miles from where we live he come and do some jiu-jitsu with us as well so I've known him since he's like 14 and he's trained with us since he's about 14 you know and he took I think he took like a couple of years off like two years I think to go pro boxing yeah. Um. But I still seen him. He still. He was still around. He wasn't. He didn't leave. You know what I mean. He didn't like completely miss miss him for two years. He was around. And um, yeah. So fourteen, he started. But Craig Ewers knows him more better than anyone because um, he's been with him forever since yeah. he was like a young kid. You know. But you've been there from the beginning of his uh, MMA career all the way yeah, through. Yeah. Cornered every fight. Yeah. Yeah, and then now, obviously, the last one was his first fight in the UFC. So it must be, that, that must be amazing for, for yourself to, for that to be your first guy who's really good. Like they think people talk about the UFC, like you've made it. I, I'm not, I, I'm not necessarily of that way of thinking. I think like, you know, you can, as soon as Mason won his world title in cage wires, he's made it. He's at, he's at UFC level, whether he signed mm. or not, he'd made it before he was in the UFC. He was an yeah, elite guy. Yeah. But I think it's, that what Mason said when he got signed to the UFC, I'm 0-0 now. It starts yeah. again. I'm 0-0. And that's the attitude he got. And that, that's the attitude we got as coaches as well. You know, we got the same... I think this is why he enjoys having us around, because as coaches, we got a very similar, like, work attitude. Everything's, like, business. Everything's geared towards the fight. We have a bit of fun, you know, like like everyone else. We have a bit of banter like everyone else. But I think... We're very much the same personalities in our way. Like we, we hate losing. Everything's to the T. We love training, and that's that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. So how, how was that for you then, mate? The the UFC experience uh, was that that was your first UFC behind the scenes, corner wise. Yeah, that was my first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How was um, that for you, was... mate? How did you find the experience? <clears throat> I, to be honest with you, I I didn't. I didn't take it in at all because it's another fight. You know, like I said to Mason, we're here for another fight. And then I kind of switch everything off in my head. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about if it's UFC. I don't worry about if it's in the car park next door. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a fight for us. That's the way we approach it. So uh, to be honest with you, I didn't really like, 
I know it sounds stupid, but I didn't really experience it in my head, if you know what I mean. I just, yeah. I was there. I was there for another fight. And and we was there for so long, we was just anticipating the fight and gearing up towards it. So it wasn't, it wasn't as if, like, we, we was here, are we in the UFC? And we was, you know, we was like, oh, this is awesome. It was just another what, fight for us. If what you know was what the I mean. process, mate? What, because of all these restrictions and stuff and getting to Fight Island, what did they make you go through? What was the process you had to do? Um, we went up to like London on the Wednesday, I think it was. So we tested and stayed in our rooms for, like 24 hours. And then if you got obviously a negative test, then you're allowed to fly. So then we flew, I think we flew on a Friday. Yeah, it was a Friday. We flew Friday. We got out to Fight Island, tested and stayed in our rooms for another 24 hours. And then we was allowed out then on like the Sunday. So on the Sunday we got out. And then you're kind of free to, to roam around the hotel hotel and stuff like that. But then every two days you have a mandatory test. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I just, I, I said to the boys, like, it's like we're running the gauntlet. You know what I mean? Getting these tests all the time. It's like, there's four of us here. We're all testing twice. Like every two days we are tested. <clears throat> we are running the gauntlet. One of us are going to throw something up. You know what I mean? So <laughs> if we get to a fight, that's the fight itself. Like. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. if we make it to the fight and none of us test positive, that's the fight done. That's the fight itself. So we was kind of happy with that, you know what I mean? But I heard some horror stories out there with some guys who was like, I'm not going to mention no names, but there was guys out there who tested negative in London, flew out, tested positive, but then had two tests after that and then tested negative again. And then they flew them home. <clears throat> and they just shipped them out. So like they was left there without like a corner, you know what I mean, and just stuck in their room for seven days, and they was let out like two days before their fight. So then, if you think like you're let out two days before your fight, you've got like twenty four hours, and then you're cutting weight, and then you fight then. So like they had no break, do you know what I mean? It was it was yeah. horrible for those guys. Like, but you know the process is it is not fight island, do you know what I mean, where you go in and you're relaxing and enjoying it. We we was literally waking up, training. Spending an hour or two by the pool, training again, going to bed. That's literally how we was doing it. Yeah, I mean the thing is, you got you got quite lucky in that you had a UK time based card. So yeah, yeah, that yeah, was, it quite, was yeah, because some guys was, are fighting uh, yeah. like ridiculously times in the morning, aren't they? Some guys are fighting at two a.m. in the morning and stuff. Yeah, well, if you was on the McGregor card where they was walking out at like seven or eight a.m. something yeah. like that, I think it was. Like if you if you're on late prelims or early main card, you're fighting early morning. You know what I mean? And it's, that's not good. Like that's I not mean, good. So we, I think, I think we fought like three o'clock UK time. Yeah, which was per. I think that was like eight, seven, eight o'clock, like Abu Dhabi time. So that was that was perfect for us. Yeah, there's only a few hours difference between between the Abu Dhabi and us, isn't there? So it's not yeah. it's not so bad. But uh, yeah, those those early cards where you're fighting at stupid because you haven't got also if you could go out there two three weeks before and acclimatize, then yeah. Mm-hmm. But because obviously once you're there, everything's locked down as well. You're you're stuck there and you've got to try and acclimatize in your room for three days. It's just not gonna happen. Yeah. Well, we heard some guys was obviously doing a, like a switch clock, so they was like sleeping through the day and then awake through the night just to be kind of acclimatized for the fight. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I yeah, went to Pride, not, uh, 
when James was in Fort and Pride and I was going to Pride, we tried to do that then. James was trying to do that all those years ago, like blackout curtains and stuff and trying to acclimatise. But And he's like, mate, you better try and acclimatise because you're going to be pretty fucking bad. And But my job's to be there for you. I'm not, you mm. ain't got cut weight. Do you know what I mean? So that's one thing. My job's just to be there for you. It's only press and, you know, got do like public workouts and all pads for you and stuff. I'm, that's easy for me. But uh, mm. when you go there, like you realise like, oh, man, it is a massive, like that is a big deal to, to have to cut weight and stuff in those situations as well. It's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. It's not, it's not, it's not nice. You know, the, the, the weight cut and everything was perfect. Everything was, everything, even the trip, everything was, brilliant it was all like kind of no hiccups whatsoever so there was no kind of like ah shit we forgot this or we haven't done this everything was like plain sailing towards the fight so there was no hiccups at all so that was that was good for us what was your um the the training facilities like there for you just everything in the room yeah it was literally got our own rooms where we stayed and then a training room then which was opposite our room it just had some mats down and then obviously that's where we done the weight cut now there then yeah so it was some mats and then they had a gym downstairs where we would go so mace would do his running i would do my weight session and then go and do some jujitsu or pad work with mace in the afternoon and then go back and we was doing pads in the evening and jujitsu and then some yoga and then off the bed yeah <laughs> so it's just it, it sounds like it sounds like the fucking dream, if I'm honest. <laughs> it was it was okay. It was yeah, but it's like being confined in a like that that hotel, and then you're building yourself up to fight as well. Like if that's yeah. everyday living, and you haven't got worried about the fight, then give it me. Do you know what I mean? That's that's good. Like, but <laughs> what a five star hotel, all expenses paid. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But it was. Uh, it was it was okay. It wasn't it wasn't that bad. But like I said, I didn't really take none of it in. It was just a fight, you know, another fight for us. So the fight. Have you watched the fight back since you've been back, or have you still are you still focusing on what you saw on the night? Hundreds of times. Yeah. So that's what that, me, I, that's what I do. I, that's my job. I just I watch. I yeah. watch a lot. So let's um. We won't talk about the result just yet. We'll have a talk about the actual fight. Um. For me, uh, like people are saying, like obviously, oh, you know Mason. What, what do you think? Well, I was like, what's his game plan? I was like, well, for me, my, if I'm Mason, my game plan is to push the pace, be on him, because that's that's Mace all over, right? Like push yeah, the yeah. pace, be on him. When he hits you, be in the pocket, trading back, pushing on him, be boom, yeah. boom, 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 do do all those fucking things. Be there. Um, if it clinches, get the takedown. Don't clinch unnecessarily because the guy's the guy's strong. He's good. If, if you clinch, get the takedown or don't clinch. Be away from there. Mm. That's what. Yeah. And then he went out and fought perfectly, exactly how I would want him to fight. So, yeah. Is that what you had in mind? Did he execute what you wanted him to do? Um. Yes and no. Being honest, without giving too much away. Yes and no. You know, it was it, it was he done what he had to do in the later rounds. You know, what anyone else would have done. You know, he, early on footwork was good, and then it kind of like he'll tell you yourself. It kind of went to a degree, but you know, the game plan wasn't to be or wasn't to have another Mason Jones fight, you know what I mean? <laughs> where like that wasn't the game plan, but then when you get dragged into that, then that's where Mason's good anyway. The pressure was key, pressure footwork, um, you know, combination of the punches, staying in the pocket a little bit, and kind of hurting him on the counters was, was key. Um, one or two things we've highlighted the work on, which is which is a good thing. This is why a loss is always a good thing because you can kind of you can kind of work on those. Um, 
the wrestling, he got taken down once or twice, but we didn't neglect the wrestling leading up to the camp at all. We knew that Mike was obviously capable of taking him down at any 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 stage of the fight, you know. So we we worked on that. But I think it's when when you're adding so much pressure and you're walking forward so much and you're trying to put your combinations so much, then something's gonna give, you know. You're either gonna give a foot and allow the pressure to ease and then defend the takedown, or you're gonna keep pressure and hope in the takedown don't come. So it's, it's you know is a is a trade off to a certain well, also, degree. So also in that fight, Mike didn't necessarily fight how many people would predict because Mason's pressure was so intense that Mike yeah. started to get tired. So you're thinking, mm. right, he's tired, he's going to react how someone who... But he wouldn't. Then he'd come back with these explosive combinations out of yeah. nowhere, and you're thinking, you don't look like you're capable of doing this if I judge it on the last minute of fighting, you know? So yeah. he was really hard. from Looking at it from a fighter's point of view, and how Mace was performing, it must have been really hard for Mason to tell there's going to be a takedown coming because it's from a guy who looks genuinely fatigued and then the yeah. next minute he's exploding like he's fresh out of fresh out of gates again. Yeah, I think it was like um halfway through the second round where Mason like proper cracked him against the fence, you know. And a typical a typical Mace would be like clinch him up, wear him down, you know, look to build shots. But then when you've been in a fight where someone's dangerous, like obviously he clipped Mace a couple of times and he's so explosive and dangerous, I don't begrudge Mason looking to finish, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So it was one of those, like if it was more of a like pragmatic fight where the pace was kind of slower and Mace could see his power shots come in and then once he had him hurt there... I don't think he would have let him off. I think he would have clinched up and he would have like he would have he would have done some damage in the clinch there. But when he had him hurt and he had him he had him against the fence and he had a bit of distance on him, I don't begrudge Mason giving himself a foot and looking to crack him again, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's a big learning curve for all of us, you know. We've identified a lot of things we gotta work on, um, which is exciting for us as coaches. Is that's the important part. And then we can try and put it into practice now for the next one, you know. Yeah. So at the end how did you feel about the decision compared to what you, I mean, it makes no difference. It makes no, di this is the thing. People get all mm -hmm. up about the decisions. They make no fucking difference because it is what it is. But how do you like tally it up compared to what you saw? Number one, you could not be more proud of the guy. That's number yeah. one. Number yeah. one, the guy stood in the pocket and traded and, and did not take a backward step, you know? And he's, Mike's he's, a fucking he's a big guy. He's a, that's he's a, a big fucking guy. animal. He's a fucking animal, mate. Honestly, I've never seen someone standing there. in the, Like, a lesser man would have been gone. A lesser yeah. man would have been out of there. You know what I mean? And he stood in there, and he cracked him as much as, as, much as Mike cracked him back, you know? But my initial feeling, it was one-on-one -on -one going into the third. Yeah. He lost the first, won the second, in my opinion. It was one-on-one. -on -one. And then Mace put pressure on him in the last, like, two minutes of that third round. But then Mike was firing back with the more, like, powerful shots, you know, the more impactful yeah. shots, which I think they look at. But if you look at all the stats, Mason's shots, building his shots and putting his combinations together was beyond Mike. So I think, looking at it, if maybe Mason stole a takedown right at the end of the third or... Yeah risk something like significant then he maybe would have stole a third you know but yeah that we live and learn we live and so learn for me, you know yeah, what I mean? like, for me i i scored it a draw because i thought the i had one in two one in two went however one knows they went that's not up for discussion 
And in the third round, I thought, well, Mason's supplying all the profesh- all the pressure. He's landing more, but Mike's landing clean and big. Yeah. So you've got to Mike's say that's Mike's a 9-9 nine, nine round. I, I think, yeah, like for me, how I looked at it, Mike started well in the third, but then faded at the end and Mason come back and really pushed on from like from like three minutes on, he really pushed hard to, to kind of like build a shot. So, you know, I'm not upset about the decision, if I'm honest, you You know what I mean? I'm not upset about it because, like you said, you couldn't be more proud of the guy. Like, if you want someone to fight, then Mason's your guy. You know, if you want someone to fight for the side, he's, he's your guy, Lex. He'll fight. He's not going nowhere. You know, but maybe, like, looking at us as coaches and, and Mason as well, like, we got a couple of tactical decisions to make on how the fights go in. And then we can try and implement them um, tactics into the game plan. Then you know, yeah. I mean, the a thing little is bit as well, like Mike did. Like Mike took. Like Mike stole a couple of takedowns here and there, which you know, he didn't keep Mason down at any point. But I think you know Mason's jujitsu is really, really, really good. His wrestling is really, really good. So I think like you know we can we can work on that even more, and then maybe coming back into the next fight, you'll see a different type of fight. You know. Yeah, I think. Uh... When Mike didn't fight particularly how I thought he was going to fight as well, that makes it hard because he didn't, like, I expected, how Mike fought the first round, I expected him to fight every round. But Mason mm. was so on him and hitting him with stuff and combinations on the exit and you could hear big, big, big <laughs> shots landing. You, know? you could hear him crisp because there's no audience or anything. Yeah. And he's landing yeah. massive shots. Then he hit Mason with a shot that you could hear, but Mace's back throwing three or four and that I think that I think fight. that's the good thing about a crowd and no crowd so like it can go either way can't it but when you've got the commentary team like we could hear them like super clear so we got a commentary team like sat to our left here and then you've obviously got judges around the octagon now when these guys are going whoa oh my god then the judges are hearing that no matter what yeah. I don't care what you say yeah. any human beings hearing that and going shit but you know, if you watch that without any commentary whatsoever, then there's room for dispute, you know? I watch all my... I watched the Burns fight today with no commentary yeah, uh, yeah. this morning. I woke, I woke up this morning at 5 a.m. I put the fights on, no commentary. I don't want to hear what other people got to say, you know what I mean? I want to make my own mind up on what I'm seeing. And I think that's what happens in these no-crowd contests is you can... It is highlighted... And I've been there now. This is our third no crowd fight, obviously, with the McColgan fight, the Proctor fight, and now this fight. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can. It does make a massive difference with that commentary so close to, around to the judges. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, I, I completely I, I agree with you from, from that aspect that any influence as a spectator, any influence is going to help. And especially, there have yeah. been such terrible judging decisions recently. I mean, Mason's won a terrible judging decision. People were saying... Yeah, that's right. I was going to say this. Yeah, yeah I'm going to say the yeah. same thing. The judges got it. The judges got it spot on. Maybe yeah, not I mean, a unanimous uh, decision, you know, but the judges got it. They they got the feel of the fight, like, perfect. You know what I mean? That's, like, even Mason will tell you himself, I, I think I lost that fight. You know what I mean? That's the first words he said to me when I went in the cage. I lost that fight. You know what I mean? So, like, we got no arguments, not at all. It's just, I think, we just trying to highlight the factors of the fight. You know what I mean? No, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. sometimes the factors go against you a little bit. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and also, a if, judge, if, what people forget is a judge is viewing, it's not like a BJJ judge who's walking around the, a referee who's walking around the mat. It's subjective say. to them. It's completely subjective. It's from subjective. one angle. 
It's from one yeah. angle. You're not going to see the little sneaky uppercut against the fence. You're maybe not going to see the one judge might see it, one judge might not. You're not seeing the replay. You're not. So it's really difficult because you're judging from such a small angle of a yeah. fight that we see from a 360 degree view. And it wasn't yeah. a. It was. It wasn't. Um, the the Volkanovski versus thingy robbery. Um, you know, it wasn't one of those. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, I agree. You know, it was just simply for me. I scored it different, but uh, like you say, for me when I was watching it, if there was everything that I wanted Mace to do in a fight, he did yeah. it. There was no. Yeah. You couldn't. You couldn't. No, ask, couldn't well, apart no from. I'd like him to have not got it and not be so willing to take <laughs> shots and give shots back. I'm like, fuck. But at the same time, this fight is worth his weight in gold because if you have this fight in your fourth fight in the UFC and suddenly it's all poured on you and the pressure's on it. Mace has had it. Like, there's not... He's never going to have to dig as deep as he had to dig for this fight. No, this was the exhausting. Shackles, the, the shackles are off kind of thing now. You know what I mean? Like, the... If I'm honest with you, like there was no nerves from his part at all. He was relaxed all fight week. The weight cut was perfect. Everything was perfect. Like I said, there's no, like even the fight was going like you know how a Mason Jones fight go to a certain degree. You know maybe like you said a little bit cleaner here and there. But when someone's cracked you earlier on like that and you know you got to dig deep, I think that changes the complex of a fight in your head. You know, especially for a fight that we not in there, we not there. We can see two guys here, but we can't see what's going on in you and what, what, what Mason's seeing, you know what I mean? So, like, for him to do what he done, I take my hat off every day of the week, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's stuck in there. But, like, you know, it's, it's it's just one of those things, I think, it didn't do him no harm, you know? He's, he got 50 grand out of it, which is always <laughs> nice in your first fight. Um, yeah. We spoke to a lot, uh, like, like, no name, no names, but we spoke to a lot of guys around the hotel who were, who were in, like, obviously high up in the UFC, and they all enjoyed the fight. Yeah. Um, it would have been nice to get a win, but, you know, if, you, if you're going to kind of lose, then it's not a loss, you know what I mean? Yeah, listen, mate, you, if, you can't, if you can't forget your loss from the moment you walk out of the cage, there's no point doing it because you've got to look yeah. at the next fight, right? You, got, mm. you, you guys aren't preparing to refight Mike in the same circumstance. Even if they offered you, said you had to fight Mike again on your next fight, you're not going to be preparing to fight the same guy who you fought last time. So it, oh. the, the, the future is another fight. So that loss or that win, either of them has to stay behind you because mm. you've got a future to, to go on and fight now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you've got to, obviously, he's, like Mesa's got to go. And like, It's not one of those, oh, let's pick ourselves up and go again. It's not one of them. It's continue the momentum. That's that's key. It's not yeah. like, let's continue the momentum that God, because, you know... You, that fight could have went either way, and it was a great fight for for the general public to watch, by all means. But you know, it's not a fight where you're like, "Fucking come on, mate, you got to dig deep now and get on with it." Kind of thing. It's a fight where like we make small adjustments, and nine times out of ten, he wins our fight. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's one of those. So I'm not mad. It's it's one of those things. Yeah, and no one in the division is going to be looking forward to Yeah, <laughs> oh. no one's going to be looking forward to fighting Mason Jones now, mate. It's one hey, of them. Things, so, so. <laughs> and to be honest with you, like. A, like when Mason's won, but had you know maybe the one fight that I say that that sticks in our mind is like the Alexi Mankachivi fight where he got cut early on. Mm -hmm. He chased the fight and he got cut early on. After that, I've never seen such a like a a rise in someone's capabilities just in the gym as well. Like just for pure determination not to fight like that again. 
Yeah. So like this, and I've seen it already. Now you watch him in the gym now, and is he's, he's mentally ready to push straight away now again. So like yeah. I think he's going to go out to Team Alpha Male now, which is awesome. We encourage stuff like that as well as coaches get out there, learn, experience something different. Because that's where your work is, you know what I mean? Your work is in the UFC. So the more guys you get around you that's doing the same job as you, the better. So, yeah, um, yeah that'd be good for him as well. So, yeah, it's, it's all it's all just, you know, like I said, it's not pick yourself up and brush yourself off and get on with it. It's more like continue what you're doing, but let's make small adjustments as we're going. Yeah, which is the perfect attitude. To, I mean, there's no doubt, from what I do know of Mace and the little that we've trained together and stuff like that, like, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Mason is the guy who will... He's not going to need you, his missus, Craig. He's the guy who's going to shut a door and say, right, I need to fucking work on this and I need to go and boot. So when he comes in and you say to him, right, we need to work, he's going to be like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, we fucking do. He's, he yeah. seems to me, from what I know of him, to be that guy who is everything that you want so that when you do shut the door and say, right, we need to do it, you know you know he's going to be there to listen. Yeah. He, do, he doesn't take anything to like as offensive either, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I say, like, you know, Mace, come on, mate. He's like, I'm sorry, I know, I know, I know. Boom, and he's on with it. You yeah. know, and he, he adjusts so quickly. And, and to be honest, we've we've identified a lot of areas where we could have done outside of, of fighting. You know what I mean? Outside of the fight, we've identified a lot of areas where, where we think that we could excel more in or fix. And then the guys who are in that area they're working on it, you know what I mean? So say, for instance, it's something fucking so silly that, you know, like things like, oh, your, your S&C stuff then, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. are you doing what you need to be doing? Reese is looking at that part of it, but have you got all the equipment around you to be able to do it? So if you haven't, yeah. then go and source it, your tools are your tools, you know what I mean? That's what you need to, to be able to fight. So stuff like that, and even something as silly as I can be, so that's what the guys are doing now, and that's what we are doing as well. Yeah, which is uh, is that's is exciting for the next fight. You know that that's the the one thing. It's that this net this last fight makes you excited for the next fight as a yeah. as a fan. Uh, it makes me excited to see Mason fight again. So as a coach like yourself, you must be excited every day to work towards that. Um, yeah, not only and, uh, like I said, it's like for the rest of the guys as well. When you see someone. You know what I mean? Someone, one of your teammates perform that way. It's going to make you excited to think, fuck, I train, you know what I mean? I'm training with this guy. He set the example yeah. as well because like, make no, I've had guys who've fought MMA before and we've had an MMA team for a long, long time. But this is our first like guy who's got the UFC. So he is in the guy's eyes on a bit of a pedestal, you know what I mean? In the gym, as in he sets the example. Yeah. So these guys are looking at that as well and looking at that fight and saying, man, that's what we need. You know, that's how you dig deep. You know, that's that's one of those things which I'm more proud of myself as a coach because I know those guys are watching and going. Like after the last fight where he, where he knocked Proctor out, I've never seen the gym so buzzing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just because of the risk that he took. And he took that risk off his own back. You know, and we he asked us about it. He's like, well, what do you think? And I was like, man, if, you know, I never say, I never say no. Because as soon as you say no, you put doubt in your fighter's mind straight away. Yeah. If I say, look, no, that's a bad idea, mate. Straight away is doubt in, a, in his mind. If that's what he wants to do, then that's what we'll do. Yeah. That's that's key because then you're giving, you're backing the guy, you know. But after that fight, when you're going up a division, you're 
you're TKOing someone who's eleven, uh, who's was twelve and one, and putting him away as a light the guy for guys in the academy and the kids and all the guys who want to go and kind of be an MMA fighter in the future. You got to be looking at that and thinking, "Fuck!" Like, oh, yeah, that's exactly. what that, that's the that's what that's the level we need to be at. That's exactly it. And I mean, people can take the uh, can take the wrong message, like. To bring it back to to myself, for want of a better reference here, um, like I, there's not a man on the planet I wouldn't have fought in my MMA career. You offer me anyone, I'll fight you. Like two weeks notice, go and fight in Brazil. Yeah, I'll go. I'll be made of it. Like I'll do it. But will I? For me, it was will I dedicate the six months of my life and not go out with my bird of prey and not go paragliding to yeah. do that? So Mace, there's no doubt in my mind, Mace would fight Proctor and he would go, but. What Mason's done is Mason's dedicated himself to fighting at welterweight to beat Proctor. So yeah. what he's given back to the gym is not the fact of, you know, you're going to have 40 people in the gym who've got the mentality, I'll fight anyone. That's We're fighters. That's what we do. I'll fight any man on the planet. But will you dedicate yourself to be the athlete that it takes to beat Proctor? Mm. And I was worried about the Proctor fight, in honesty, because he's a big, rangy guy. Mason gets hit. And I was like, right, if this guy does fucking hit him clean... And Mason goes into Mason Jones mode. Is the guy going to be too big? And is Mason going to? But the guy called Mason. The funny Lee. thing about the the funny thing about this fight is like we game like obviously we game plan for everything, and the game plan was fucking perfect, right? Yeah. And there was some conversation like a couple of weeks before, and we was like, Mason said something about him coming out southpaw. He said, oh, I think he might come out southpaw to shoot obviously off his strong side, and shoot and clinch and work off his strongest side. And he said, I'm just going to practice some stuff going southpaw. And, you know, he, he just had a feeling. I don't know whether he's seen something or whatever. And then the day of the fight, he walked in by the cage. I was upstairs fucking lying down or something. And him and Craig went down to the cage. And they they watched him shadow boxing in the cage. And he was southpaw. And he come back upstairs. He said, I'm going to knock this cunt out. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. He just said, I'm going to knock him out. As soon as yeah. he come out southpaw, and in the fight as well, as soon as he come out southpaw, I was like, man, you're done. Because yeah. Mason fights really well against like southpaw guys, like, and he just knows, because of his boxing credentials as well, he knows the shots to throw. He yeah. knows how to sit on the shoulder. He knows he knows exactly what he's doing. So we as like coaches, we kind of just took our foot off the gas and just said, go, do your thing. Well, like, I, and, and he did. I trained with Mace, obviously, like t- two weeks after. I think you were both dying. So I, like, yeah. I wrestled with Mace, then it peds. And uh, we were chatting for about the first three minutes of a round. We were just chatting about his last fight. Anyway, and we were talking about the <laughs> fight. He said, like, he hit me. And, like, that's when I wanted to know what it was going to be like. He said, and he hit me quite clean and hard, which we all saw anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And he said, like, and I knew, like, f- like fuck, yeah, he's got a dig. But I can get out of the way of that shot and counter that. I can get out of the way mm. of that shot. Because I was like, all, I said, what it looked like to me is it looked like you got clipped and you thought to yourself, Right, I gotta go forward and make sure I'm in the pocket and banging him. He's like, No, he said, as soon as he clipped me, I knew where my shot was to land. Yeah. He said, and I knew that I was gonna catch him with it. And because my worry going in was that Mace was gonna keep coming forward and get caught with something, and then Proctor was gonna be big and strong, because he's fucking big. So I was thinking, like, yeah. those those long guys are um for some reason they're fucking strong, those long guys. And I was like, right, so I was, but then when he talk, when he explained to me afterwards, like when we were grappling together, I was like, Ex- everything you said is how it looked now when you go back and look at the fight back. So yeah. it's obvious that once he'd got caught with that shot, that's what these people don't understand. If you get a good level fighter, when, once we get hit, we're already thinking about, 
okay, you've caught me with that. Now I know need to worry. And Mason knew. It's like he knew. Right, I know how to cope with this. He's not catching me. I think. I, I think. I, I think if Proctor played to his strengths as well, he would have given Mason a, a real tough time, just because of how athletic, strong, and big, and uh, and rangy he was, you know. But I think they come out with a game plan that was just overcoached as well. Coming out of Southport, trying to be a little bit clever, you know what I mean? Like taking your, you're taking tools out your guy straight away. You're taking those tools away. Like unless you're comfortable Southport, why are you coming out to fight Southport? You know what I mean? It takes, also, it takes years to master being Southport. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it takes years to master out to be a good striker anyway, and then it's going to even, seemed, it's going to take even longer. Like it seemed like there was a bit of an arrogance about them in the, um, and that's not not a personal attack in in the way that they fought. Like a bit of an arrogance in a bit like he's not going to be able to hurt me with his power. So when he dropped yeah. him, like he couldn't even pop back up. He had to slide along on his ass because he suddenly yeah. got hit and he was like, "Fuck, I've hit and now this guy's coming at me." You know? Yeah, and, shit. And, yeah, and that and like you said, he. It was a it was an element of arrogance, and I won't dig into it too much. But like, we did have a little bit of a bust up after with like the coaches to a degree because I didn't I didn't feel like they they done their guy like any like any favors whatsoever. You know what I mean? And Mason said something to him, and they kicked off, and then they started shouting at me, and I was like, it was. Yeah. It is what it is. Go and look after you. Go and look after your guy. Do you know what I mean? Go and go and look after your guy because it's it's, it's not about you as a coach. It's it's got fuck all to do with you. You you are here to mitigate the guy, and that's it. It's got nothing to do with you. You go and look after your guy and make sure he's okay. That's that's why I was saying like, but you know, I don't think they've done him any any favors whatsoever. You know what I mean? And if it paid off, it would have probably been a fucking stroke of genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. When it doesn't pay off, then you gotta look at yourself and think, "Fuck, did I really, did I really do the right thing?" You know. And your game plan might have worked about at against ninety percent of fighters, but ninety percent of fighters aren't Mason fucking Jones. And the thing <laughs> is, is if it's, you it, and the thing when you got someone like Mason stepping up a weight who's hungry as well, that's the issue. Yeah. That, that well, he knows what's coming if he wins. He knows what he's fighting for. He's not. He's he's mate. When he's got something stuck in his head, he's the fucking nightmare. Yeah. You're not stopping him, like you're not stopping him. If he's if he says, like, say we're rolling, whatever, and he says, I want to catch you with this, this, and this, or I want to work this, this, and this, look out because he's gonna get it. Yeah. He's one of those, you know what I mean? He'll keep going and going and going. Yeah, he, he, and that for me was what highlighted from that fight. It looked to me like Proctor. I'm not gonna use the word underestimated, but it looked to me like they had so much faith in their game plan. What they didn't bank on was that Mason can fucking bang. He can take any shot that you're going to throw at him. So if you don't put him away with your clean shot, you, he's going to come at you. And then when he does come at you, he's going to maul you. So you you can't you can't butt scoot against Mason Jones. You've got to be back up on your feet and away. Don't try butt scoot into the fence. Yeah. I I take nothing away from Proctor. He's a hell of a fight. And I hope to see him back. You know what I mean? He's, he's a yeah. fucking great fighter. Like, you know, he's done some good stuff. But, you know, you always back your guy. You always back your guy. They got when it you, wrong. When, they got he it come wrong. Up, when he come up to me and and when he come up to me straight away and he said, "I'm gonna fucking knock him out," I was like, "Fuck," you know. He's gonna have a tough night. Like, yeah. you know, he's gonna have, when you've got someone who's that mentally strong, you're gonna have a tough night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it went beautifully. So, uh, you said you watched uh, last night's UFC. I seen last night. You posted uh, on Facebook. Something yeah. that was my people kept asking me, 
Where's what's your prediction? Because I did obviously the fight breakdown for Connor and that as well. People were saying, yeah, yeah. "What's your prediction?" I was like, "Well, I think Burns can will I, even oh, stop." Can I take a Can I take a second to have a wee a minute? Is that all right? Shoot off me! I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, you shoot off me. One second. Uh, I'll keep it chatting for now. Will you shoot off a wee? No problem. Um. Yeah. So uh, last night's UFC, obviously. Greg posted a thing up about his worries um, about the Burns fight. Not so much worries. I wouldn't say that they were. They were just what he thought uh, Burns had to do to get the win and whether he was going to do it and also what Usman could do. And they fell very much in line with what I was thinking, which is what I'm thinking we'll cover when Greg comes back in. I'll, I'll talk to him about that because it was in line with what I was thinking in a way, and then obviously the fight went how it went. I'm sure that anyone who's listening who's a fan of the UFC would have seen it by now anyway, so it's not going to be like a a massive thing. But And my, my opinion always comes out of the fact that for some reason I can't like Usman. I have no idea why that is. As a fighter, he's obviously fantastic, but... I can't like the guy for some reason. So. Oh, sorry, mate. No, I don't, mate. Listen, I just carry too on. Too much coffee and too much water. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was just saying, like, so you made a prediction, not so much a prediction. It was sort of in line. People were asking me what I thought was going to happen. And I was like, right, I think Burns might knock, could knock him out. I don't think he'll sub him. I think he could catch him early. And then, mm. because he's a pressure fighter, if he catches him early, he could finish him. But I don't want him to overcommit and ruin it. Also, mm. if he does start to overcommit, Usman is—he knows how to play the fight out for the for the full. Yeah. So he'll make it really difficult. And then Burns clipped him and didn't commit at all. And I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> what? No. I like I, I've spoke to a lot of the guys like leading up to it, and he's like, "How do you think it's gonna go?" I spoke to. You know, like you're doing training. How do you think it's going? I said, I kind of don't think it's going to be a fight where Usman's going to clinch him up against the fence because I don't think he wants that, you know? Because Burns will just, he'll throw anything and the kitchen sink at him when he's against the fence. Yeah. And if he does get taken down, I don't think he'll care about getting taken down. What I did say, which was kind of good, I said, Burns' looping shots is going to be an issue if... Usman starts firing straight down the pipe. If you look at like the Colby Covington fight, you look at that, those type of fights where he just literally threw down the pipe until he wore you down. I didn't think it was going to end so early, if I'm honest with you. I thought it would go into like four rounds, four or five rounds. I think he would have done the same as the Covington. But when it come that early, I was, and when he cracked him and his switch stance, and when he was switching stance as well and throwing a right jab, switching stance and throwing the left, and I was like, man, they've they've done their own work on trying to counter those looping shots. Which, yeah. which was perfect, really. It's, it's think, crazy uh, how good Usman is. Like, well, I just I think that Usman had all the attributes to beat Burns. He, he knows he can't fight him on the floor, right? He knows that's, that's a disaster on top or yeah. on the bottom. But he, he has all the elements, and I think the first round he neglected to implement them. So then when he goes mm. back to his corner and they come back and they're like, push that jab in his face, put that jab yeah. in his face. That was one hundred percent. Because you're so much taller, with really long arms and a really good jab, keep a man who's dangerous on the inside at bay on a jab. Like, 
Yeah. If he gets past yeah. the jab, land something different or clinch. But mm. and then when he started doing that in the second, and he started to time the jab and then faint it and get enough reaction that he could then follow up on the second. As soon as he started doing that, I was like, oh, this is going to be a tough, a tough night yeah. for, for Burns now, you know? You've seen Burns just stop. Like, he was stuck in the mud, at, like, like you know, after, after in the second round where he just, like, stood there. And yeah. he was moving his head, but he wasn't moving his body at all. And I was like, oh, man, come on, just start moving. Start getting on your toes a little bit, you know? And I haven't watched it again. I haven't, I've only watched it once. I haven't watched it with commentary either. So I don't know what the guys were saying on commentary. I haven't got a clue, but I watched it without any commentary. And then when he was stuck in the mud and then he threw like a like a big overhand right and he threw it and then he come back and he was like really lethargic. I was like, ah, oh, he's he's done. He's yeah. done. Like he's you could just tell he was done. You know, he was finding his range difficult then. But the first round was was perfect for him. Now it was perfect. It just for me, I just for the way that he usually fights, when he landed that overhand right behind the ear. Which is the shot that I would have thrown against Usman. That's the one. Like mm. even start feinting a jab to the body to, to then land because Usman don't like body shots. So feint a yeah. jab to the body and start landing big to the head. He landed that shot, he should have poured it on him. Because you're not worried about the takedown. Yeah, yeah, you're not worried him, about you know? the ground engagement either. You're not worried about the grappling, yeah. nothing none of that, you know. And what I was impressed with Burns, I gotta be honest, where he mixed a couple of takedown attempts in as well. Yeah. But I just think it was a little bit too late. You know, I think he didn't keep him get. I think it was too late before he started doing it. I think they if were a he started doing it, maybe they were. A bit yeah, like, this know, isn't it, working. It, so it, it was one where he switched. He switched. He went in for a double, and then he switched the double to single, and that was like real close. He was. He was real deep. Yeah. And I think that was more. That, that was more a tactic than it was like instinct at the time. Yeah. But I think if he started doing that from the off, mixing his strikes with just, you know. And implement like try to implement the rest and then throw him off a little bit. I think he would have had a little bit more success. Yeah, I think second round really, as soon as he started getting clipped with that jab, if it was me, um, I mean I'm not getting punched in the face by Usman, I have to say, but if I would be thinking start stepping off at angles and kick the leg. Because mm. you're not worried about getting the bad takedown off the kick. You know Usman's got bad knees. Try and kick the leg as much as you can to slow the to slow down the pressure on the jab. But yeah. it just felt, it looked to me like once he started clipping him with that jab, all game plans had gone out the window and it was a bit like, oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the next step is, you know? Yeah, because so, like Burns, it clipped him once or twice with some nice body kicks as well, you know? <laughs> and I think if he just stayed at distance, like kept the centre and made it a distance fight with his kicks rather than trying to like knock him out, and I think it would have been different, but... It is what it is. No, it, it, show, it showed how good Usman was again. Oh. I mean, I can't like him. For some reason, I don't know why I don't like Usman, but I can't. As a fighter, I love him. The, the issue but... with, have you, ever, have, you, have you ever sat there and said, like, oh, I tell you what, I'm really excited to go and watch Usman's highlights? <laughs> <laughs> no one said that, but I forced myself to watch some of his fights. I have forced myself, because he's so clinical on how he approaches the fight, I have forced myself to watch a lot of his fights. And to say that I enjoyed them is 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 not great, but you've got to admire for someone to take minimal damage and keep winning and winning and winning. You know, is is quite impressive. And he's tough when he does take damage. This is the thing. He's not like that's not the first person to clip him. Like Masvidal oh. clipped him. Um, Colby, Colby landed done. on him. 
Colby had him like hurt, like Colby yeah. had him hurt, and he looked quite amateurish when he was hurt as well. If you know what I mean, he didn't like. Yeah. He was like, oh shit, you know, it was like rabbit in the headlights kind of thing, like, and still managed to come out and and just put a beating on him, you know. And that's one of the best fights I've. And to say you didn't enjoy that fight, and that's an Usman fight. That was a great fight. That was a great, that was a great fight. fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, but even in the Burns fight, when he got clipped, he does this thing of like bending down, which a lot of amateur guys do when they get hit. They sort of like bend and reach. Yeah, yeah. Head. And you, when I watch that, I'm like, that's so. That's a guy who's not been hurt a lot, reacting yeah. like in training and stuff, reacting to to getting hurt. But then he comes back. He got hurt. He comes back, and he was so technically precise. He didn't come back with a bit between his teeth and he came back and just stopped a really technical game plan and all credit to him, you know? Yeah, I seen something on Twitter that uh, he was like a little, in, like the little interview after he done and he said that's how the majority of their training sessions went where Burns would come out and put it on him and clip him and then he would take over and dominate for the rest, you know, so when the leader of the fight was coming out and they said, how do you think this fight's going to go? He said, they already know who's won this fight. I think that was what he was digging at, you know? We've yeah. trained so much together that he's going to come out strong, but then I'll just take over with being intelligent, you know? And also, there's no pressure. Did. There's no pressure because you're known as a boring fighter. If you take it five rounds and you could keep your title, so what? Burns has got to finish you. That's it. The pressure's on him. Like, it's not, yeah. you know, yeah. Like, so yeah, I, I you're not going to win a decision fight against someone who's the master at decision fighting, <laughs> and has no interest in making it exciting. <laughs> no, no, just, just win. Yeah, just like, win. I, I kind of see like GSP in him in a way, if you know what I mean. Where GSP would like box, box, kick, take down, guard, work, 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 round over, and then yeah. GSP come out in the next round and he would like box, kick, box, kick, take down, round over. You know what I mean? And he could do that until he just wore you down and finished you. And Usman is sim- very, very similar, like very similar in his like in his ways, you know? It's just not I as athletically a... as a striker, but in his like to the way he goes around it. But I think that, that there's a massive amount of credit needs to be paid, which doesn't from people like yourself, you'll you'll know it. But for the, the mass public watching, there's a huge credit needs to be paid to people who can stay so on the game plan, who can go mm. around down and can come back out and stay so, well, that's just, that one's, we the, the next one now, we go here and we do this, we go here and we do this. And yeah. you get into a bit, even if you catch someone to take a little step off a little bit, here's where we go. Here's, and there's some credit to be given to people who can stay so on on plan. Yeah, because when it doesn't go, when it doesn't go to plan, it's so easy to switch, you know? It's so easy to say, shit, that didn't work and we need to do something different. But I think once you've set a game plan, you always have a plan B of what might happen or what, like when you were game planning, you kind of look at your guy's strengths to start with. Like what's his strengths? Let's work from it. And then you look at what the other guy's good at and then you game plan just in case that happens, you know? But yeah, with exactly. Usman, it seems like no one's going to take him down. No one's, no one's going to take him down. No one's really going to push him on the back foot. Which Burns did for a little bit, but then once he gave that center up, then he was done. But I think Masvidal no one's gonna push him with a full foot. camp. Give Masvidal a full camp. I think Masvidal might push him back a bit. Uh I think Masvidal gets wrestle fucked. Yeah, he might day. have to change his game. He might have to change his game plan to fight Masvidal. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think um, if anyone can push him backwards, it might be Masvidal. He might stand in his face. I think. I think a full camp Rocky would be good. 
Leon Edwards, I think a full camp again. Yeah, I think because, you know, Leon's tough to take down. He's durable as fuck. I think he could stay in his face. But well, we for how long? Fight. You know I mean? Need to see him that's, fight that's been out for too long. Uh, I hope they do the Colby. I hope they do the Colby and Rocky fight. That'd be awesome because yeah, be I think that's a fight that everyone want to see. You know, and I think Rocky could come out on top of that as well because yeah. you know no one likes Colby. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> what, um, what did you think of the Rodolfo Vieira finish? Ah, oh, fucking <sighs> dreams are made of that shit, isn't it? I mean, the, the, I mean? the thing is. How dangerous did... I can't think of the fucking guy's name now. We fucking beat him. Hernandez. Hernandez. How dangerous did he look submission-wise from the beginning anyway? He looked... Straight away. He jumped on the guillotine like real early on, didn't he? And, he, and yeah. uh, Rodolfo had to like roll out of it. Mm-hmm. I went back and watched that earlier on actually after training. I watched it after training because I only watched the um, Burns fight and then I've gone back and watched the prelims and I watched that one earlier on, and like early on, he had that like guillotine in, and he had to roll out, and it was like, man, I don't know. But it, I think that's a classic example of uh, a jiu-jitsu guy or or a BJJ guy just saying, right, I'm just so good at BJJ, that's all I need to do, and nothing yeah. else, you know. And I also think... thinking that BJJ in a cage is the same. Like it's not what what you've got to think is when when your first attempts at jiu-jitsu go wrong in the cage, like they did for Vieira. You're mm. now worried about being punched, trying to scramble quickly, trying to resist, trying to kick, stay on top, trying desperately not to lose that arm triangle. I think it like it's too much haste on like keeping your keeping your kind of um I don't know how the word for it, but just keeping that persona of just being the best jujitsu guy in MMA. Do you know what I mean? And to do that, you got to submit to everyone that's put in front of you. Sometimes you got to make it a boring fight where you take him down and just dominate him. You know, yeah. sometimes you got to do it, you know, but I think he was that head up on like wanting to submit them and submit them, submit them. And then he blew out the gas. Then he had to strike. Then he had to wrestle. Then he had to strike. Then he had to wrestle. I think he was just done. Like, and that yeah. elbow was insane. Yeah. The, the, to be that good um, at jujitsu and to have the mount and the back so early and lose them against a dry fighter is, I mean, that's, that's down to nothing but, not nerves, shall we say, but just sheer overzealous. I need, like, yeah. I, I want to keep these positions. Composure. They, composure. Yeah, composure. That's the word. Yeah. Composure. Yeah. 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 yeah it's definitely because he had the arm triangle a couple of times, well, the position there a couple of times, yeah. and that's probably Rodolfo's like signature kind of thing. Rodolfo finishes. Yeah, everyone in all specific. No, he's still he's still one of the best jujitsu guys ever. You know what I mean? Rodolfo's insanely good, and yeah. isn't it hasn't done him any favors getting submitted in an MMA fight against a purple belt. You know, and <laughs> by all means, but I, <laughs> but but I think he'll do him good because he can go back now. He'll either come out next time and do the same thing, just try and wrestle and jujitsu, or he'll come out and show some resilience on his feet. But how much? At this late on in his career, is he going to be able to learn on his feet? You and know also, what I mean? Also, he hasn't really got the physique to go through big, no. grueling fights. No, so. It's not ideal. This is why I think he rushes so early to get him down and get it over with, you know. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I know it's not jiu-jitsu, and that's the difference. When you start putting punches in, you know, a black belt becomes a purple belt real quick. You know what I mean? Especially when you put punches in. And so, when you've got I a think purple that... belt, he's not worried about being punched in the face. He can quickly become a black belt. Yeah. yeah. And we've seen that. that. That guillotine, it's like the Manson guillotine, isn't it? You know, it's 
the Jack Manson gear team where he just gets to the back and just rips on. But yeah, I mean, you know, that, he's that, dead now, and he's going to go home, and everyone's going to love him. Well, when when you've got a guy who's got such a good anaconda, that's the natural guillotine to go to from there, right? Little arm yeah. drag, little arm drag, pass to the knee inside, sit into it, and also. Mm-hmm. If we're honest, I think Rodolfo was just glad he's over at that point. Yeah, he was but, done. He was cut as well. He was done. Yeah, that elbow was horrific. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a tough night for him, you know. But, you know, it's, like I said, it's either you'll come back and you'll start to show some promise on his feet. But then you, you set a blueprint out to beat someone like that. You know what I mean? You set a blueprint out to beat Rodolfo. I'm not saying that anyone else is going to submit him, but you set that precedence of, like, survive the first round, put it on him on the feet, sprawl put it on him sprawl put it on him until until you find a way out i mean he got a little bit lucky because in actuality he could have just got his face punched in for the whole round like yeah. to go to the back and get the old dagestani handcuff and just sit there and grind and pound him do you know what i mean but mm. the fact that um Hernandez went for the submission helped him out a little bit you didn't get your face punched in all night but anybody yeah. else who who's not going to be as reliant on a good guillotine would have just sat there and punched him in the face for the round yeah, definitely, yeah. And, well, he probably would have TKO'd him, which would, would have been better in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting submitted by a pearl about isn't great. I don't, I, no, I'm not taking nothing from Adolfo. I've seen and watched some of, like, the best. Him and Bushesha from the World's Key Finals is insane, you know what I mean? So he's had some banging fights, which have been a pleasure to watch. So I you take nothing away from a guy at all. It's an MMA fight at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's just one of those things where he is one of the best ever, but at a different sport. It's yeah, it is exactly. that simple. Isn't it, How know? many wrestlers that we've seen come into MMA and 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 in the same thing get taken down and ground and pounded out? That's just as bad as a jiu-jitsu guy getting submitted. You know what I mean? For them in their own sport, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's like so when I watch the um, uh, Tony Ferguson fight. Um, his last fight against Oliveira, um, and he couldn't mount escape. Mm. And I'm like, yeah. Ferguson's a black belt at jiu-jitsu. The one thing, you, the first thing you learn when you come through my door, anybody, <laughs> MMA class, jiu-jitsu class, the first, and it used to be called the Olympians mount escape because it was the first thing we teach you is how to mount escape. Yeah. And I'm like, how can you not mount escape? And I understand, okay, Oliveira's one of the best in the world, but at the same time, you're one of the best in the world. You should be mount escaping, you know? Yeah. It's, like you said, it's, it's fundamental. Obviously, when you're an MMA guy, something's going to give some way, you know what I mean? In yeah. terms of, like, an aspect of your game is not going to be good as some aspects of it. But, like, you know, if if you've got a guy who says they're a jiu-jitsu black belt, then regardless of how much kind of coaching or training you have in that area leading up to that one particular fight you still should still know the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu yeah. you know what i mean an escaping mount is one of the most fundamental what's, things you can do what's the one place you never want to be in an mma fight mounted right there's no yeah yeah so but it's just, like you said it, you know isn't it, mma is so complex in terms of like you got to do so much you got to go wrestling boxing kickboxing tie boxing or whatever and then you've got your clinch work, war work, then you've got your jiu-jitsu, and then, you know, it's, it's so complex. But like you said, if they're a black belt, then fucking come on. You in know, the first round as well, yeah. Like, in the first round of a fight, yeah. Come on. Yeah. There's, there's certain things like that we Eddie can Bra- be... Like Eddie Bravo said, you just maybe have to him and Ari roll everyone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't 
believe it's 2021. And uh, we're at a point where one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the world is telling one of the best jiu-jitsu players in the sport to win an Ari roll. Nah. <laughs> I mean... I, I was like, come on, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I heard his explanation for that as well, which I did kind of feel sorry for him on the, on the Joe Rogan podcast where he said that he was, like, losing a fight and he was like, man, fuck it, you got to try something, but... Maybe non-Imanari is the best thing to try, you know? Maybe stop yeah. getting punched in the face to start with and then work from there. I mean, when you're getting when you're getting beat up by a guy on the floor, not subbed, the guy's beating you up from top position, don't entice your fighter to end up on the bottom. <laughs> like, that would be my... My advice would be, he's fucking us up on the bottom, let's not be on the bottom. Not, let's go for an Imanari rule. But... It is mad. It is mad. And but like you said, you know... When you look at stuff like that and these, you know, elite guys in the world, sometimes you give yourself confidence and think, fucking hell, we're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me we're want to come right. out of retirement. Right. Yeah, we're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> mate, listen, I'm going to let you shoot. Um, We've been on here for an hour and 45 minutes, mate. It's been absolutely brilliant, like, catching up and chatting. And I can't wait to get oh, over and mate. train with you guys when is, uh when you're open or if Mace gets another fight confirmed, give me a shout. I'll be over in the RP to help you guys out. Um, That's awesome. Thank you very much, mate. But um, other than that, mate, I'm going to get, I'll get you on again soon. Look, as soon as there's another big UFC, mate, like you're just, you're brilliant to chat to as like an analyst and stuff. You, you think really the way you think about fights and fighters is really cool, but also you're funny as fuck. So it makes a good (laughs) podcast. So I'll get you on again. But until then, mate, thank you very much for joining me. Top man, thank you mate.